Why don't, we, uh, why don't we pray to begin this morning? Father, we, we want to thank you once again for the opportunity to gather. We want to thank you once again for the opportunity to open your word and to, uh, to look at it and to see what you're speaking to us. And as we continue through this series, Lord, we want to ask that our minds and our hearts would be open and that uh, the ground of our hearts would be fertile for you, Jesus, that, that your way, your kingdom, what you are calling us to and how you call us to live, um, Lord, that we would be receptive to that. And, and Holy Spirit, I want to be asking right now that you'd be moving right now in our midst to just reveal more and more and more of the love of God, and the mercy of Jesus to us as we get into your word this morning. We, we ask that you would, would speak to us through this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, uh, lastly, if any of you would like sermon notes, uh, we have uh, copies on the back table, so we kind of started doing them for youth, but really they're for anyone. If you'd, if you'd like a copy to help you follow along, uh, they're on the back. If you're watching online, we also, they're on the sermon series page. Uh, there's a link there for them, so feel free to, to get those. Um, this, uh, this past week, we, uh, we honored those who laid down their lives for our country in the name of freedom. We, we celebrated Remembrance Day once again this year. And, you know, what, what we're doing on Remembrance Day, right, is we're remembering the sacrifices of men and women who gave, have given and, and gave their lives in, in the hope and in the pursuit of peace. And, and we honor those who've given their lives for freedom that we are the beneficiaries of. I mean, that's the big thing with Remembrance Day, right? Namely, because we also, we, we value and we long for peace. And, and the reality of peace is something that most people desire. And, and yet, we experience and, and we are acutely aware of the lack of peace around us, both in the external world and even at times internally in ourselves. We're aware of that. And... And, and so yet, in all this, most people would agree, most, maybe not everyone, but most would agree, they long for peace, they love peace, they hope for peace, they seek peace at times, and they try to keep the peace. But what Jesus says in the seventh beatitude, I, I want to put to you, is something more, something further than that. Uh, this is what he says there in Matthew 5, 9. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So this is the seventh beatitude. So we've got, we actually just got one more to go. Can you believe that? We only have one more beatitude in this series to go. And, and we've been looking at each one of these qualities that Jesus presents and, and says will mark and define those following his way and embracing his kingdom manifesto. Qualities that reveal, he, he, this is what Jesus is saying, reveal that we are in sync with God's kingdom and Jesus' way rather than the world's way. And these are the qualities that will define us. And Jesus says that those who are in sync with his kingdom are those who make peace. It, and, and so what that means here is that it is intentional it's active participation for peace in their lives and in the lives of others. 
that there is something different about this peace. This is something more than what the world offers. And so I want to I ask just four questions this morning to help us embrace Jesus' peace and be agents of this peace in our lives. So first, we want to start and just ask the question, what do we mean by this peace? The, the Hebrew word for peace, or I would even say better yet, an understanding of peace. It's not just a word. It, 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 it embodies the, the understanding of peace is the word that we're probably very familiar with. We've heard it a lot, and that is shalom. Now, shalom, yes, we, we translate it as peace in the English language, but it means something so much more and further than just that. It's talking about soundness. It's talking about well-being. It's talking about wholeness. It's this, this idea that this is the way that God has designed us to have relationship with him. It speaks of, of peace that encompasses every dimension of our lives. So relational, physiological, ecological, spiritual, every single part of us and the environment around us having this experience of wholeness. That is God's desire, and that's, that's what shalom means. And, and we see in Scripture that this experience of God's wholeness and what he designed for us is ultimately found in Jesus. He, he is the one who brings us this peace. We see this in Isaiah 9-6 when it, it's prophesying about the Messiah and it's, it's all these names that are given to this Messiah that will come and it says at the end, he will be the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the very embodiment of peace as the Prince of Peace. Peace defines Jesus and peace defines his kingdom. So, it, it's so much so that when Jesus says, because he says later on in Matthew, he says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought he was the prince of peace. I thought he's the bringer of peace. How come, he said, I, I, do not, I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. And you're like, Whoa, who, who is this Jesus that's speaking? But he's saying that, he's revealing in that passage in Matthew 10 that he is the very source of peace and that the rejection of him is actually the absence of peace. It's, it's, it's actually embracing all that Jesus is. He is peace. Matthew 10 sees Jesus speaking of how obedience to his way surrendering our lives for his sake and loving him above all else. That's, that's sort of the, the whole content or context of Matthew 10. That is the dividing line for those who choose peace and those who reject peace, even if they're not aware that they're doing so. He says, to follow me, to embrace me, to accept me is the very meaning of peace. So we're coming up to the time of year where we're going to hear lots of talk about peace on earth and goodwill, goodwill to all people. And, and many times you're going to hear it spoken of in the next month and a bit as sort of this general sense offered to all people. It's, it's, it's sort of this universal sense that this peace is available to all. And that's true. While it is 
offered to all, Scripture tells us it is found, it's experienced, and it's known only in Jesus. Now, now this is the thing. The, the, the pursuit of peace is sought by many. We, we've seen, and we are seeing, we've seen and are seeing just this explosion in Western culture of meditation, other spiritual practices being promoted in the pursuit of wellness, in the pursuit of wholeness. There's this embracing of Eastern spiritual practices. It's becoming more and more the norm. Let's embrace stuff like yoga. It's only stretching. It's not. So we're embracing all these Eastern spiritual practices. We're embracing other practices that are basically Buddhist meditation practices, this thing of emptying one's mind, going deeper into the various stages of our subconscious. And we're doing it in the pursuit of healing. Because people are so desperate to receive peace and healing. It's being embraced by professing Christians, creating this sort of form of almost Christian Buddhism, if you will. Much of it is being driven by longing for peace. Freedom from anxiety, freedom from fear, freedom from shame. And so we need to be reminded of Colossians 2 where it warns us there, it says, don't be taken captive by philosophy and other spirits of this world and not according to Christ. It says, in fact, in Colossians 2.9, it says that in Jesus, all the fullness of God dwells in him. Everything is found in him. There's nothing apart that we need that is apart from Christ. Everything is found in him, including the shalom of God. So this, this past, uh, I think it was like a couple weeks ago now, that there was this uh, announcement of the, the metaverse. Oh, there we go. Now I'm on all of a sudden. Um, there was this announcement of the metaverse by Mark Zuckerberg. How many of you heard about this new thing that he announced? Anyone? It's, so now Facebook and Twitter and WhatsApp, they're all under this banner of this new company called Meta. In fact, if you log into Instagram, you'll see that at the bottom it says Meta, and it's got this new symbol. And I, I'm not sure it's possible to grasp the entire scope of this, but the intent of this, this new announcement is to integrate people more and more and more into an online virtual reality world. And, and it's this plan for enhanced virtual connectivity. And I mean, it's expansive. It's huge. Like, the, the vision for this is, is massive, and, and so the premise of it is it doesn't matter where you are as long as you have a strong enough internet connection and you've got a set of VR glasses of some sort, you're going to be able to put these on and you can enter into these virtual worlds that are being built. You'll have the opportunity to build your own virtual worlds. Basically create what you want in your own reality. Yeah, it does. It sounds scary. It's, and what it's doing is it's creating more and more seclusion, doing it though in a, in a beautifully packaged way. And, and basically saying, we, just, it's, we know now that we're separated more and more. This is, this is okay. This is good. And, and so we're creating more of this while claiming this incredible virtual world. So with that in mind, I want to I just put to you a study that Barna conducted just recently with Gen Z. So Gen Z is like 10 to 25-year-olds, uh, roughly. And they did this study on screen time. 
And over 50% of that generation surveyed, they agreed that their generation spends too much time on screens, feels badly about spending that much time, and that screen time causes them to waste time and procrastinate on other tasks. And, and Amy Crouch, who um, she's, she wrote TechWise Life, and she's part of Gen Z, she says in there that her generation is increasingly turning to tech as a distraction from the real world. This is what Meta is seeking to do. Meta is seeking to grow this alternative virtual world that you can enter into and escape from the real world, and they're trying to create this and have exponential growth in this. And yet, so despite all this, is it a coincidence that rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide are rising at an alarming, alarming rate in the Gen Zs. We are desperate for peace in our world and in our own hearts, but we can find ourselves looking to the wrong sources, which are presented with these alluring invitations, and they're actually changing brains. And what the Bible reveals is that true peace from God can only be realized when God is allowed to be God. You catch that? True peace is only experienced in our lives when we allow God to be God. When we believe that we can be sovereign over our own lives and hold the role of God in our own lives, we find ourselves actually in a state of rebellion against God. And this is the reality of this earth. However beautifully it's packaged, resistance and rebellion to the rule of God in our lives leaves us grasping, longing for shalom and feeling less than whole. You know, another, another verse that we're going to hear a lot of during the Christmas season uh, in various forms is glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, right? We hear that a lot. Daryl Johnson remarks on that. He says, glory to God in the highest is the infrastructure for peace on earth. No glory to God, no peace. We seem to lose that in that, that longing and that pursuit and hunger for peace sometimes. Where we're like, I want peace, and God offers peace to everyone, but it begins with glory to God. This is the peace that Jesus offers, and it's only promised and realized and a reality within surrender to God and his rule in our lives. This is the peace that we're speaking of. So the second question I want to ask this morning is, what can steal your peace? Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And later in Colossians 3, we are urged to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. There, there's 
there's a message there for us of be aware, be on guard against deception. Many initiatives, and there's many claims for peace in this world. There's, there's many of these that are, that are floating all around us, focused on equality, focused on tolerance, focused on justice. Some changes that have come as a result that are really good. There's changes that have come in our world that are good, things that are changing for the better and are necessary. But ultimately, anything that does not have Jesus at the center of it will not lead us to follow the way of Jesus and experience his life. And so we've got to remind ourselves, we are all formed by what we follow. You are being formed by whatever you are following. Spiritual formation to the way of Jesus comes as a result of very intentional decisions, very intentional practices that form us to be more like Jesus. And so alternatively, there, there are many things in this world that can have elements of good in them, there, there, there's, there's elements of truth, but at their core, they will actually lead us away from Jesus. They will lead us into deformation because they reject that all life and fullness is found in Jesus. Full stop. That we don't, we don't get a portion of life from this and a portion of life from that. No, all life and fullness is found in Christ. Everything of God dwells bodily in Jesus. So amidst all this, this push that we're experiencing and seeing in this world for social justice, social change, massive, massive shifts that are happening in our culture, some good and some really, really harmful. In this, the state of people's hearts and the violence being done to their souls is being ignored. There's, there's, there's all sorts of schisms and divisions in our culture that are deepening. Cynicism and distrust are taking hold in many. Deception is rampant. And Satan is quite content to have us think and always look at that it's those other people where we're keeping our focus on others and we're absorbed in ourselves. We, we, we see the amount of, of division happening in our, in our society right now, and, and we're witnessing it in the church. And, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that we should be surprised. I, like, I think COVID has, 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 what it's done is it's revealed things that have been there for a long time lurking. It's been underneath the surface, and COVID has just been the catalyst now to bring, just bring a ton of stuff to the surface. But peace and unity are essential to effective Christian witness, is it not? Peace and unity. And so we should not be surprised that we have an adversary, the devil, who is prowling around and he is doing all that he can to create division and conflict in the church. Satan is quite content for us to keep focused on Others. When we see others as the problem, we, we give no thought to guarding against Satan and his schemes. We don't realize what Satan is doing. 
Ephesians 6 reminds us, it says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against demonic powers and spiritual forces at work in this world. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that we start demonizing people and we start labeling people as demonic. That, that's really, really presumptuous and it's really, really dangerous to start doing that. But this, this doesn't absolve us of responsibility, right? Where we're like, oh, it's, it's all the work of Satan. It's, it's just, it's all Satan. It's all, it's all the demonic forces around and, and what are we going to do? That, we can't absolve ourselves in this. We have to assess where are we inviting, where are we allowing Satan to influence our hearts? What are, what are we allowing and fostering in our lives? The New, the New Testament speaks of Satan tempting us with greed, with dishonesty, with unresolved anger, with selfishness, and listening to others who will encourage all of this in us. It, it warns us again and again and again in the New Testament of this. And so there is personal responsibility. In his, in his book, The Peacemaker, Ken Sandy, he actually he lists some common expressions that often reflect Satan's lies and influence in our lives. And I wonder if, if any of us have heard these or found ourselves at times tempted or maybe if we're honest, we're like, no, I've, I've actually thought something along those lines. Stuff like this. Look out for number one. God helps those who help themselves. Surely God doesn't expect me to stay in an unhappy situation. I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget. Don't get mad. Get even. I deserve better than this. You ever find yourself feeling something along those lines? That's the work of the enemy seeking to bring deception into our hearts. Satan does not want you to experience the shalom of Jesus. If, 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 if he can keep us wound up with fear, anxiety, shame, anger, disillusionment, discouragement, bitterness, you name it, anything that keeps us from experiencing Jesus' peace, Satan will just keep feeding us. He'll keep feeding you those lies. All right, the third question that I want to ask. What, what is the posture of peacemakers? So that to help us in this, it helps to think through and to understand the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. So Romeo Dallaire, you maybe have heard of him. He was a Canadian who was head of a, a UN task force in Rwanda. He wrote a book called Shake Hands with the Devil. And, and he, in that book, he just shared about how uh, they were sent on this peacekeeping mission to, to Rwanda uh, right at the beginning of when the genocide was happening there. And him and his forces basically had to stand by and watch the, the horrible, unspeakable acts of violence, violence and killing that was happening before them because they were not allowed politically to intervene. I mean, it, it caused unbelievable amounts of trauma in, in Romeo Dallaire himself in his life. But he, I found myself years ago when I first read this book, I, I, had, to, I had to put it down and just cry. Like it was so, so visceral. And, and you go, 
There, there was people in that whole situation, these UN forces that were there that could have done something, but they weren't allowed. There was all these geopolitical things swirling, and so they were only there as peacekeepers. See, the contrast between peacekeeping and if they been, had been allowed to act as peacemakers would have been night and day in the Rwandan genocide. And the same is true for followers of Jesus. Being peacemakers is not a passive posture. Peacemaking is active. It's intentional. It's engaged. I, I think many of us, when we're, when we're hearing all this stuff about peacemaking, being peacemakers, we may realize this is not what we experienced in our families. And, and that this is maybe what not what we've experienced in many situations in the church. And we're looking at this and we're going, like, like do you ever look at these words that Jesus is saying, how, how can we operate so differently than this, what we read of here? How, how do families operate so differently? How do churches operate so differently? Why, why do we experience something that's so different from this? I mean, look at the history of the church in the last 2,000 years, and it's littered with the exact opposite of what we're reading here. And we, and we have personal experiences in our families where we're going, this is not at all what I've experienced. So if we're, if we're going to embrace Jesus' peace, we're going to need to be honest and assess what has been formed in us in this regard. Where have we been formed in other ways by our families, by friends, by culture, in ways that are not in sync with Jesus and not in sync with his way of peace? Where have we been conditioned to live and respond out of a very different posture than the one that Jesus speaks of here? Because there's so many times, so many situations where it's far easier and far more socially acceptable to just keep the peace rather than undertake the very challenging work of peacemaking. It's far easier at times as well within ourselves to kind of do these sort of mental gymnastics, if you will, to justify not taking steps required to live as peacemakers. It's just easier to justify why, ah, I don't need to do that. And perhaps this is where we need to remind ourselves, when we speak of the Beatitudes, these eight qualities, Jesus is not talking about eight different people. You know, some have this quality, others have this quality. He's speaking of eight qualities that are in the same person that followers of Jesus hold all of these eight qualities in them, that, that actually being peacemakers comes out of being poor in spirit, admitting our spiritual bankruptcy. It's, it comes out of those who mourn, those who mourn for their own sin and the rebellion on this earth, those who are meek, those who resist the temptation to take matters into their own hands, those who trust God. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, where our desires have changed and we long for this right relationship, where the, the peacemakers are also the merciful, those who 
regardless of what others may think or what we may think of others, we just extend mercy and grace. And they are also the pure in heart where we admit our own sin and we seek our own need for healing. See, if, if true peace is only found in Jesus, then true peacemaking is only found through Jesus. And it is as we draw near and abide with Jesus and his way that peacemaking is formed in us. When Jesus came announcing the kingdom in Matthew 4, he spoke his good news. You know, the word, that's where we get our words for uh, evangelized and evangelical from. That's where basically to, to be an evangelical simply means to the people with good news. That's, that's really what's meant to define us. People with good news. Jesus calls us as his followers to be people with extraordinarily good news. And that means that part of being peacemakers, right, because this is an intentional thing, it means that we are called to the work of evangelism in our lives. We are called to bring the good news of Jesus to our communities and beyond. We are called to be God's ambassadors. We're called to be his ministers of reconciliation. That is the call with, on people with good news. These are days where people need to hear of Jesus and to see Jesus in us. Is there a greater need right now in our world than people to see and to hear Jesus in us? Right? Like, th these are days of immense opportunity, folks, for the church to be peacemakers to the hurting and the broken world, rather than being conduits for all the other garbage going on in our society. Don't be conduits of that. Don't, don't just share this and share that on social media. Think about the fact that you are called to be a peacemaker. People with the good news of Jesus not conduits for the, what the rest of the world is, is, is waiting in. We need to grasp that if we're going to be peacemakers. Peace is a gift of God given to those who let God be God. That, that's the posture from which we make peace. All right, last question I want to ask this morning. What is the cost of being peacemakers? There's a cost. Colossians 1.20 says, Jesus made peace through his blood shed on the cross. Speaking of, of the cost of being peacemakers, Daryl Johnson says, somewhere along the way, we have to come to terms with the fact that the cross is not only the source of our new life in Christ, but it is also the pattern of our new life in Christ. The call to follow Jesus isn't complicated but it is costly. I think sometimes that we might prefer that it would be complicated and not very costly. But Jesus tells us that his way is the way of the cross. It is a willingness to die to self daily. Take up your cross. And scripture tells us that Jesus' peace came through the cross. So the, the second part of this beatitude speaks of the identity of those who are following Jesus' way. He says, they will be called children of God. 
Romans 8 says that the Holy Spirit dwelling in us bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. Ephesians 5.1 says that as dearly beloved children, we are called to be imitators of God. We are called clearly in Scripture, we're clearly called to be like our Father in heaven. We are called to be like Jesus. And that call is the call to be others-focused and others-oriented. When we speak of spiritual formation, discipleship, becoming like Jesus, following his way, there's a danger that arises out of the influence of today around the obsession with self. We are living with the aid of big tech and the aid of social media in days of fixation around the improvement and betterment of self. That's, that's really the underlying mission of the metaverse. So some really good things, right? We're becoming more aware of how to care for ourselves, but we are living in what some are called, it's, we're living in the era of project self. It's all about self. And it's, it's everywhere. It's incredibly pervasive. And if we're not careful, our apprenticeship to Jesus can be hijacked by this. It's all about me. It's all about my personal fulfillment. It's all about my growth. And we end up actually pursuing spiritual disciplines because it's all about me. Robert Mulholland, he, he's a guy that's written extensively on spiritual formation. And he notes that the goal of all spiritual growth is for the sake of others. For the sake of others. This is why the bot, being the body of Christ, being involved and invested in the lives of others is essential for your spiritual growth. It's not just about you. It is ultimately actually for the sake of others. Our call is to love, and that call requires others. You know, I'll just say this. For the sake of others is really what peacemaking is actually all about. You learn all about for the sake of others when you are put into a home group with a person that you really don't agree with. And all of a sudden, it gets really real that you have to be a peacemaker for the sake of others. Yeah, that's the ground level, right? You get stuck in a group and you're like, I really, I really can't stand listening to that person. You're called to be a peacemaker. This is the way of the cross. This is the way of peacemaking. It's about others. It is about others. And so, I just, I just want to um, end by, by just saying, you know, as we've seen today, Jesus gives us a very different peace than the world offers. Jesus invites us to live out of his life that he gives as the Prince of Peace. He said it in John. He says, I, did, I give you peace, but not as the world gives. I, I'm going to give you a peace that is radically different than what the world is going to say is peace. I think in these days of all sorts of claims, we need to think about that. And we're called, it doesn't just end there. You're called to be an ambassador of this peace. 
You are called as a minister of reconciliation, as an ambassador for Jesus Christ to be a peacemaker. So, how are we doing? That, that's actually where it has to end. How are we doing? I want to I give you five questions that if we're, if we're going to take this and we're going to go deeper in this, again, it doesn't just end here, right? So here's five questions. Where am I lacking the peace of God in my life? In, invite God to show you and then pray for those situations. Oh, I think I, oh, no, I'm back. Number two, do I pursue substitutes for peace in my life? What lies about peace might I be living? Three, where in my life am I more of a peacekeeper while God is calling me to be a peacemaker? Four, how can I partner with God to be a person with good news? What is holding me back from being that person? And five, how can I work for peace for the sake of others? I want to I invite you... Um, if you, can, if you want, you can stand. I want to invite you. We're going to end. I want to I invite you to pray a prayer of St. Francis with me this morning that really embodies this desire for peace and to be a peacemaker. So you can do it if you're sitting down, but I just want to encourage you to, follow, uh, to, to repeat with me and to follow along. If you want to stand just as a, as a show of just you know, submitting to the Lord, you can do that as well. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant me that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen. Let's, uh, let's worship to close together, and let's, let's allow the Lord to speak to us about where he is wanting to increase peace in us.